considering seriously who he is, then we may think differently about things. We may think differently about ourselves, and we may think differently about some of our behavior. Our culture tells us, I don't know whether you've noticed, but our culture tells us quite a lot about finding out who we are. I'm finding myself. I always think that was really tricky. How can you find yourself? If you're lost, why are you using yourself to find yourself? I find that strange. I'm finding myself. I need some me time to reflect. It's almost expected that as we reach adulthood, we will suddenly realize all of the failures of our parents and then need to find ourselves again. And what about the joke about we're hitting, hitting midlife crisis? I'm not sure whether I've hit it or I've gone through it or I'm in it. But that hitting of midlife crisis, it's expected that everyone does it. Culture says we need to be more self-aware, more self-confident, have higher self-esteem. That's a lot of selves. But that is, I believe, where culture is talking about at the moment. We're, we're told all of these things matter a great deal. Actually... Psychologists argue that there is no proof that taking someone from a low sense of self-esteem to a high self-esteem actually changes anything. Because all they have is their own esteem. They're just more confident with their own problems. So actually, changing ourself doesn't always tick all the boxes. I think we can agree that. What we have in Jesus is so much different very different because here we say I am lost I admit I can't do it by myself and we find meaning in who he is that is considerably countercultural, because we are allowed to find meaning in who he is and that's how we find out who we are the bible reading today is from chapter 3 of Colossians and for those of us who come every week, we'll have heard the other talks in the series. And if you haven't heard them, I do really promote listening to them online because then we can catch up where we're at and we can kind of get the context for the scriptures. But I'm just going to say that in chapter two, what we're saying in chapter three today reflects back a bit. And we see that being raised with Christ is a phenomenal part of our identity. Being raised with Christ. So yes, he died for us. Yes, he took our sins with us, with him. We are amazed by what he did. And then he rose again. And we are raised with him. And here in chapter 3, as Paul is talking to the church in Colossae again, Paul brings further revelation and, and um, inspiration. And he's talking about that same thing again. Do you know what? In Christ, it's everything. And this time, he's addressing some moral issues that have come up in the church. And as a backdrop, he's saying, Do you know what, in Christ, we can look at these things. In Christ, we can behave differently. So, it's probably time to read the scripture. So, we're going to read from chapter 3, and we're just going to read to verse 11 initially, and then we're going to read the rest later. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is, a, is all and is in all. So as I said, we're going to come to the rest of it later. Sometimes when we're reading this passage, we jump to the moral bits. We jump to that bit from verse 5. Put to death, therefore. And sometimes it can be used as a bit of a moral high ground. As Christians, you shouldn't be doing that. As Christians, you must stop doing that. Now, obviously, we shouldn't be doing these things. That's, that's a given. But we don't jump to those verses. The heart of this letter is so much more than this. Our identity, our roots, the truth of who we are, that's what we're hearing in those first four verses. And when we get this, this changes things. It totally changes things. So our first question today is, do we know who we are? Do we really know who we are? And maybe if we consider the similarity of this passage... Shrewsbury, Shropshire, UK, 2018, to Colossae, both, ch- both times grappling with culture, grappling with what culture is saying, cultural values. Maybe we can see some kind of reflection in the context that we're in right now. Do we worry sometimes about what culture tells us? Is our culture secure, generally, in our identity? Do you believe that people know who they are? And are we sometimes drawn into that same culture? Are we sometimes drawn into finding our identity in other things? So if we are told that we find meaning and security in other things than God, do we sometimes get drawn into that too? Do we sometimes get drawn into, actually, this is where I'm finding my security right now. This is what's making me tick. This is the thing I'm thinking about at night. This is the thing that's on my mind. This is the thing I'm aiming to. If that's something other than God, then we've been drawn into a different um, cultural understanding or a different decision that's becoming the thing that makes us tick, the thing that gives us our identity, the thing that makes us feel like we're something. I think it's strange that in a culture where depression and suicide is at its highest so also is leisure time and me time. It seems a dichotomy, doesn't it? That we're actually probably at our lowest in our culture right now, but also at the place where the highest buzz is looking for, we're looking for the highest level of contentment in other things. Also, I would say that sinful and reckless behaviour has become a norm And if we don't join in, then we're some kind of loser. I think, to be fair, that's gone on through the ages, hasn't it? This sinful, reckless thing is going to cause us all the buzz. Well, is it? Is it? Materialism is also at a great high right now. If you drive this car, 
or have this cool house or dress in this cool way or eat these cool foods, then you've made it. You have become it. You have reached a good place of identity. You have fitted in. The problem is none of these things, well, some of them are worse than others, but none of them are actually that bad. The problem is the attitude and the perception that all of this somehow gives us meaning. Somehow this matters, and to gain it gives us a better sense of identity. Would we agree with this generally? All of this stuff is sitting there telling us it matters. And I guess my question, the heart behind this question is, how much are we being drawn in? How much are we believing that it does matter? Or are we different? We have a God who says, I love you. He doesn't just say it. He went to the cross and he rose again. And he says, do you know what? On that cross at that time, I have made a decision that means that you and I can come into a relationship with the God of the universe. And that matters. That is the very cornerstone of everything we are and everything we will ever be. So it's already happened, this thing that we might be trying to attain it's already happened at the time that Jesus rose from the, get, from the dead. It's already happened that he has done everything so that we may have life to the full. Everything. Are we content in our identity? Are we secure in our purpose? Are we happy even when things are going rubbishly? When life is rubbish? Are we content in our spirit because of what Jesus has done? Do we have a countercultural way of thinking? Do we think of others before ourselves? Are we self-sacrificing rather than self-promoting? Rather than seeking out ourselves, are we seeking out the needs of others? What are we doing? How are we being countercultural? How does this stuff matter in our own hearts? We have hope, and I believe our culture is crying out for a hope. What Jesus did on the cross gives us a hope. It gives us security and it gives us a hope. Are we a voice in our culture saying, do you know what, guys? All of this stuff's great, but we have a hope that's bigger than this. We have a hope that's eternal. We have a hope forever. So do we know who we are? An endless hope. Do you know what, Billy Graham, he's recently died, hasn't he? And he said an amazing thing about us with our hope. He said this, atheists have a hopeless end. Christians have an endless hope. It's a very Billy Graham, isn't it? But there's something in there. As long as we're not taking a glee in what the atheists are doing, as long as we're just being happy about what we have, and that surely gives us a momentum to want to tell our culture, do you know what, there is an endless hope. There is an endless hope. Not a hopeless end. An endless hope. I wonder... When I ask the question, do we get distracted, I think I can answer for us all, of course we do. There's lots of shiny distractions in our world that take us to a different way of thinking. There's lots of things that might take us off course. But what we do when we get distracted by stuff, do we sit in that place of distraction or do we see it for what it is? And do we look back to who Jesus is? John Stott says this, our understanding of our identity 
will determine the nature of our behavior. I think I'll say it again. Our understanding of our identity will determine the nature of our behavior. So if we're starting to get drawn into stuff, maybe we're forgetting our identity. Maybe if we look at our identity and say, in Jesus, I am everything because he has made it so. And without Jesus, I've got a flawed perspective and I'm looking maybe at the wrong stuff. Then my behavior will respond to who Jesus is. Let's read those first four verses again. These are the first four, these first four verses of Colossians chapter 3 are the main thing we're going to focus on today. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. So I'm going to draw out three things of significance from these first four verses. Number one, we died to our old life. We died to our old life. It's gone. And we are now hidden in Jesus. We are hidden in Christ. Our whole life is wrapped up in his. And he covers us and we are in him. Number two, when he rose again and is now seated with God in heaven, we are a part of this. We are a part of that resurrection power because at that point, he defeated death, not only in his own life, but for our lives too. He defeated the power of death over us and we are raised with him. And not only this, it says that when he comes back in glory, we're going to be with him then. So we have past, present, and future, our lives totally, intrinsically linked with Jesus. So if we're not sure where our identity is, it's in him. Past, present, and future. Past. There's a slide there with them all on it because the first four verses are all a bit intermingled. But here we have past, present, and future. Becoming a Christian is so radical. It's so radical. Are we losing our radical edge sometimes? It's so radical. Because what we're saying is, all of that stuff, all of my values I once held dear, everything that was me, all my sinful nature, do you know what? It's dead. It's gone because of what Jesus did. That is a radical claim. Freedom from the past so that we can be free to have a future. The only imagery that does this any justice is literally talking about death and life. Dying and rising again. There is no other imagery that does it justice. This is how radical it is. So me trying to kind of flail around in society, trying to find my identity. Do you know what? That's gone. It's dead. I've been given a new life that is real life. Based on what Jesus, my perfect, wonderful saviour, has done and declares over me. My new life is symbolised in baptism so well. And I just wonder, 
if you guys, if anyone hasn't been baptised who is a Christian, that symbolising of going down and putting to death the old stuff and coming back and saying, do you know what, I'm alive in Jesus and I have a life, that symbol is so powerful. And maybe today's a dessert day to decide, yeah, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it because I want to be part of that symbolic statement that my old life has gone and my new life is alive in Jesus. And you know what? When I think back to my baptism, I want to do it all over again. That's not quite right, apparently. So we can't. But the excitement of that day, an endless hope, based totally on the unequivocal love of Jesus. Our worldly thinking says we have to do certain things and experience certain things and behave in certain ways to be acceptable. And Jesus says, I have made you acceptable. I have made you acceptable. Worldly thinking says if we had a rubbish start in life, then really, quite frankly, we're not okay. We don't quite fit in. Jesus says you do fit in because I made you fit in. Christian thinking says Jesus makes me okay more than okay. He makes me a saint. He makes me right in his eyes. He looks at me as his, as his sister. My father looks at me as, my, as his child. Do you know what? This is more than okay. This is radical, amazing, perfect stuff. Jesus makes our life worth living. Jesus is exciting. Do you know what? That's only the past. Now we've got the present. What are we doing now? What is apparent? We, we still live in this fallen world. We do still sin. We are in a world where things are not perfect. Sad stuff happens. I've had sad stuff even mentioned today. That's not okay. None of it's okay. But Jesus is over it. And Jesus is above it. And we're living in a time where we still have that hope. And the promise of the death and resurrection when we become Christians, the promise of living a new life with new hope is here in the present. We are living in the promises that we have. Life now is Christ-centered. And if we keep it Christ-centered, it's also Christ-dynamic, Christ-focused. It's looking at him for our adventure it's deciding that life is worth living and when I'm on this roller coaster called life I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus God is with us now he is with us by the presence of his Holy Spirit some of those songs today was just pointing at the Holy Spirit presence he is with us in our decision making he is with us in our heartbreak he's with us in every moment of our lives right now do we look to him first for our comfort The Holy Spirit is with us saying, I will comfort you. I will counsel you. I will guide you. I love you. I am with you always. This is present. This is what we're living in right now. Maybe today we're hearing this, but we still feel distant. We still feel, well, great, Helen. Thanks for telling me. But life's not feeling like that right now for me. Do you know what? This is bigger. I would even dare to say this is bigger than our feelings. This is bigger than how we're feeling right now. Jesus is bigger than this. That doesn't mean our feelings don't matter because I've just said he will come. He will comfort us. He will counsel us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. But what happens, what's been declared in the beginning of this chapter is bigger than our feelings. 
maybe there's stuff distracting us. Maybe we're not fixing our eyes totally on Jesus, but we're fixing our eyes on what's causing us pain, what's causing us anxiety, what is our problem right now. And when we're fixing our eyes on that, all we can see is that. That becomes the big thing in our life, doesn't it? I've done this myself. When the thing is the thing rather than Jesus, then Jesus seems a lot smaller. But when we're focusing our lives on Jesus, then the thing becomes smaller. Does that make any sense to anyone? That's what I believe, and that's in the now. I've got an amazing quote from my favorite author of the moment. Some of my friends would shout it out for me, I'm sure. Pete Gregg, and the book is Dirty Glory. He's from the 24-7 prayer movement. If you haven't bought this book, there is a very good supplier nearby called Illuminate Bookshop. And I would encourage you to have this book. The way he says things is sometimes a little bit near the knuckle. So bear with me. Remember, this is Pete, Pete Gregg speaking, not me. But it's in order to drive us into a passion again for Jesus. So I'm just going to read a small excerpt. Just get my breath first. <laughs> right, he says this. The vision is Jesus, not Christianity, not prayer, not mission and justice, not worship leading or church planting or evangelism. If you love Jesus, you'll do that stuff. You'll pray and worship and go to church and preach the gospel. But in doing all these things, don't lose the why. Don't get lost in the crowd. This is the bit that's a bit near the mark. It might be healthier if we all stopped being Christians for a bit. A week or a month or even a year. We're just too good at it. It has become habitual. We've been operating out of religious muscle memory for so long we've got spiritual RSI. Urgent voices are calling us to abandon the familiar comforts of Christendom, to strike out into the unknown and rediscover the Nazarene. Let him back our systems and take us back to the place of willing surrender, in which we will simply do anything, go anywhere, say anything he tells us, whenever, wherever, whatever it takes. We need a theophany, a rediscovery of his proximity. And he says this, we are over-familiar with holy things. We speak in tongues and think it's no big deal. We experience healings. We talk to God and he talks back for crying out loud. That means we are either clinically insane, suffering from some kind of re- religious psychosis, or we're experiencing an actual living, conversational, interactive relationship with the creator of the cosmos. No middle ground. You're either insane or a saint. Okay, I'll stop there. But is that giving you a taster for the book? We're either insane or we're a saint. Are we insane? Do you know what the world would say we, what we are? Totally insane. What do you mean you find your identity in who Jesus is? But when you've experienced and you know and you believe in here, and there is nothing that questions for you who Jesus is, then surely we live accordingly. Surely we live out of that knowledge. Surely he's enough. Surely he's over everything. Okay, the future. I'm going to be brief on the future. 
a promise of hope and security forever. Now, there's a future. Eternity with Jesus. There's a future. And you know what? When he comes back again, we're going to be with him. In glory, there's a future. There's a future. And when we say we don't know where our hope is right now, we have a future. And when we say it's too bad right now, we have a future. And you know what? Both are so intrinsically linked. I can look outside of my circumstances now. I can think differently. And I have a future. And I have a hope, an endless hope. When Christ appears, we will also appear with him in glory. This is the truth. That hymn said these, these words that we're singing today. And I will rise amongst the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Wow, there's a future. Okay. I'm going to skip the next slide, Hillary, and just go to the next one. We are setting our hearts and minds. Where are we setting them? We set them on something. Our hearts and minds are always going to be set on something. There's going to be something that we're driving to. There's going to be something we're reflecting on. There's going to be something that's in our thinking that becomes our thought patterns. Where are we giving our thoughts? Are we focusing them on Jesus? Set our hearts and minds on him. If you know that you've possibly, probably, definitely been setting your heart and mind on something other than Jesus, then maybe today you need to do some prayer. Perhaps come alongside someone you trust, the prayer team, and just pray. Father, I'm sorry that I've been setting my heart and mind on something else other than you. I want to lift my gaze to you again. I want to fix my eyes on Jesus. Paul is emphasizing the importance of what we seek, what we set our minds on, where our goals are, what we devote our lives to, this stuff matters. So everything to do with the moral stuff that comes afterwards was, you know, all of this comes when we focus our minds on who Jesus is, because then we're looking at perfection. Then we're looking at a sacrifice made for us that is bigger than anything on this earth, anything that can tempt us away from him. Our identity and our meaning and our lifestyles are so intrinsically linked with who he is. So we all know that when we're in relationship with someone, we need time with that person. And a question here would be, how much time are we giving in our lives, busy lives, I know, to putting on of Jesus? Taking off the stuff the world might say and putting on of Jesus. How much time are we giving to saying, it's about you. Are we reflecting on his word? Are we joining in prayer? Are we going off to our room on our own and just saying how it is? Are we writing our own psalms to God, as it were, telling him about life and then asking him into our lives and to change things? Are we worshipping him? How much are we putting on of him? How much are we clothing ourselves with this truth? I believe today is our day to live in the fullness of this truth and not in the emptiness that culture might bring. I'm going to finish now. I'm going to ask Helen to come forward. Um, and I've asked Helen Allen to come forward because she sang a song on Alpha last week, which was very much, um, her story was that she felt distant from God and she was drawing back to him 
and she wrote this song. So whilst she's singing it, I wondered, could we just reflect in our own minds? The words are going to come up, but if you want to close your eyes, you can do that too. Reflect in our own mind where we might be drifting from God, where culture might have taken our gaze, where our eyes are no longer fixed on Jesus. What are our eyes fixed on? Are we overwhelmed still by what happened? And I'm just before she sings, I'm going to read the last few verses of the chapter. I said we'd read them later. Because these, these verses really do speak for themselves. Okay, so from verse 11 to the end. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to, God, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Free now. 
just going to ask John to play on the keyboard for a moment. He might sing. Just been listening to what I feel the Lord's saying through Helen's provocative and important talk. I just sense, I can see in the spirit a kind of oasis that God is giving here for people who a little bit stuck on the road for one reason or another. Some of those reasons have been mentioned in the talk and earlier on. I just feel there's a possibility here of kind of realigning our lives, saying, okay, Lord, I just want to come back to basics, physiognomy, back to the foundations, you know, as Helen said, past, present, future, very helpful. Um, Um, I do actually feel it's uh, this is a moment of direct response because we were thinking, Helen and I were talking earlier on with Terry and thinking maybe just reflect on the talk but actually want to take it a step further which is to say for some people here I would like personally just to pray for you if you just feel you need to get back to those foundations those very, very simple but fundamental biblical foundations in my mind's eye just see an oasis God's spirit empowering people who maybe lost a little bit of power on the journey for one reason or another it may not be in your fault but sort of happened for some reason or another and you got in the slow lane I think the Lord wants to help us does that make any sense? so 
Let's stand together. And if that's you, and you just felt some stirring and a kind of sense of response, you know, during the talk and maybe earlier on, you just want that oasis of God's power, you want to just get back to the foundations know what it is to be raised with Christ, to feel it, not just in your mind, but actually feel it deep down. Just just come and stand here at the front. It's an invitation, very specific. I'm being very specific. I'm stepping out. This is for some of us. Might have been on the journey a long time. Might have been just bruised by things that happened to you that really were unfair. prayer team to come up to my left, please. Just sense this oasis of God is something very gentle. So just as far as it's humanly possible, I'd like the prayer team now to come and just lay hands on people, maybe two at a time, you know, come along the row as far as you can and just lay hands on people, we might need one or two more. Thank you Tim, just come and join us. Just symbolically, maybe moving along, please. Yes, just reaching, just gently laying our hands on their shoulders. This is God's oasis today, and for some of you, you really know what that means. Things that you know that we don't know, 